The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Uh, I feel good today, man. I'm tired. Uh, I feel good. I feel energized. I, I feel amused a little bit uh, by the, the weather. I, like the thunder this morning, man, it was just, it was, man, it, I, hadn't, I hadn't heard thunder like that in quite some time. Like a good, solid rainstorm. In Oklahoma, man, you get those like all the time. Like they're just rolling through all the time. And uh, so like, I'm just kind of amused by the number of folks that you could tell uh, had trouble like getting up and coming on into the, to church today. And so uh, I, I, I had the same trouble, bro. <laughs> I hit the snooze a couple of times. And so, uh, but it's good to be here. I, I feel encouraged uh, in the Lord today as we continue this series um, learning about family stuff, just really diving in and learning how to live out the Shema with our families, which is Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verses 4 and following. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your, your strength. And, 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 the, and the Word goes on to teach us to take all of the things that God had entrusted to the people of Israel and impress them. Um, the values and character uh, uh, of the Lord upon our children. And so there's another really cool passage of Scripture when it comes to thinking about parenting um, that is found in Psalm chapter 127, verse 3. It says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them, they will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. And so the, the, the scripture is kind of calling us to have a vision, a visual, just to kind of get an idea of what it is to be a parent. And uh, we're to think of our children as arrows. Now, um, not flaming arrows coming at us, okay? They're arrows. And so the picture is, is that we view ourselves as archers, and so our job is to aim these arrows, and we're shooting them. We're releasing them. We're releasing them. All, everything about a, uh, uh, an archer is pull back. You have tension on the string. You aim. You release the arrow, and wherever you're pointing, that's where that thing is going. And so the objective here is that we are shooting souls back to the Lord. And so parents serve as that role because God has ordained the family as the primary vehicle for transferring his values to the next generation. Like it's the primary vehicle. It's not the church. Um, you know, it, it just, it's, it's, it's interesting to me how sometimes in religion, in, in churches, that, that things like catechism classes that you go to and to get our kid Gonna make sure and like, man, I, I, I've seen like so many families like just really order their lives around that. And man, we're gonna get them there, and then they're gonna have this, and and it's everything that so that boop, we put a stamp on them. And so, like, I think one of the reasons it's so um, important and powerful is I think it makes a parent feel like, well, they're doing what they're supposed to do in order to teach their kids about the Lord. Um, and certainly there is value to learning about the word and learning uh, and, and being in classes. And, and so that, there's, that's valuable. But it is the parent's job. The parent's job is never finished. Even when your children leave home, 
So like as we're going through this series, a lot of you, you're empty nesters already. Your children have already gone on and they're, they're having children of their own. Well, not only do you have a responsibility to those grandkids to aim them and shoot them back to the Lord, you're still aiming your children. Now, certainly they have a totally different uh, level of independence. They are on their own, but they're looking to you as a patriarch in their family. Um, I even believe that when our parents are like, I don't believe I know, your parents are dead and gone. They're still influencing you. Like my dad, is, he's been dead since 2010. And man, he, like, he, I got to think about my dad all the time, and he just impresses, he's impressed things upon me. And so the way he lived his life is still influencing me. And that's, it can be both in the positive and the negative. If we're fathers that aren't um, pursuing the Lord, then we can have a negative impact on our children. And so God has ordained the family, not the church, not any class, but moms and dads, he's ordained them to be the ones who transfer these values uh, to the next generation. So if you're, you're kind of in that place where you're starting your family, um, several, uh, several millennials in the church, man, that's good. Like, that's good. A lot of churches don't have millennials. We've had a wave of them come through. A lot of them aren't making a good showing this morning, right? <laughs> but there's some here, and so a lot of people getting, they're getting married, and that's really cool. So you guys need to have a vision of this. You need to think about what is our family going to be like? What are, what are our kids going to experience? Um, our role as husband and wife and, and mother and father, should the Lord bless us with children one day, is to transfer the values of the Lord to that next generation. So we're to love God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. And then he says, like when he is asked the great commandment, he quotes the Shema, and he says the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So we know that, the golden rule. You love your neighbor like you love yourself. And so if you don't think God has a sense of humor, just look at this. Like he says, love your neighbor is like the greatest commandment. Love God with everything you have. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then I'm going to give you a, a, a husband or a wife. The two of you are going to get married, and you live that out under the same roof. <laughs> like you love your wife like you love yourself. And so there's, there's a difficulty there. Like, like when you get in the home, like the real deal is what's going on. And so that's the place where we um, practice this. He creates marriage as a model for kids to learn how to love their neighbor like their self. As they watch dad love mom, um, then they learn, hopefully, how to love their neighbor the right way. If they watch mom love dad, mom respect dad, mom be in like unity with dad, and the two of them were walking in harmony through life, it is to serve as a model for them to understand what God is like because God loves people. And we look at the Lord and we see his heart after us is that, that he, likes to, um, he likes to bless us with grace and work in the midst of our lives and enable us um, to become the kind of people that he wants us to be. And so he sees a husband and wife as one, and he expects us to be the model for our kids. And that is, that is powerful as a parent. Like, man, parents have such power over your kids. Awful parents have power over their children. And it could be a very difficult thing, man, for, for people to navigate through. Like a, you, when you deal with a young man who has been wounded by his father and his father's absent, like in his life, it, and it, it, it is, it's tragic for a young man. 
Because the young man grows up thinking, what did I do to make him not want to be with me? And they even say that it's more beneficial for a child, uh, for a dad um, to be dead than to be alive and not have a part to do with that kid's life. The kid, it's easier on the kid if the, if, if, the, if the parent is dead and he passes away as opposed to just um, he's not there and he's abandoned them. And so like, it's just powerful. So this relationship that exists between um, father and son, father and daughter, mother, daughter, mother, son, it is one that God has like, the reason it's so powerful and so damaging is it's something that God has created in the family where th- there's supposed to be this powerful experience of passing down what God is like. And so when that gets broken and that fellowship is broken, then it makes it m- much more difficult. So I say all that to say um, God designed parents to model what he is like. That's what we're doing. We're not just enjoying our spouses. Um, with children, we are modeling what it is to know the Lord. And that's why the Lord is called the Father. They know an earthly father, and the, and the more intimate the earthly father is with the heavenly father, the, the easier it is for them to get acquainted with their heavenly father. The less acquainted, the less intimate an earthly father is with the heavenly father, the more difficult it is for the son to come to know the Lord. And so that's what we're doing, is we're, 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 <laughs> we, we really are pastors of our homes. When you think of yourself as a parent, you need to think of yourself as a pastor, that you are teaching your kids about the Lord because you have all the time with them. Um, I may see them once a week for just a few minutes, and I'm the guy up there talking from the stage, and some of them don't even know why they come. And if they don't know why they come and they're not getting it, it's probably because they don't have a good model. And so, like, it can't just be that you come to church on Sunday and you bring your kids to church, it has to be constantly that you're modeling for your kids what it is to know the Lord. And so the church helps to equip you, just like we're doing today. The church equips you with the word and helps you to understand what your role is in life. And so unfortunately, many parents don't understand their role and take it serious. And that's tragic because what children see is what they will be. We just, just mark it down, man. Whatever you're, you're like is what your kids are going to be like. Now, is that like 100% true that, that, that that's the way it is and there's no breaking that? No. Obviously, um, a, a kid can have the, the Lord working in their life and a parent not. But they will still pick up the same mannerisms. Like, man, I tease. Like, I will tease you. As a matter of fact, people wonder sometimes because I'll just get all up in your grill and they'll be like, was Jimmy don't? not like me. Listen, when Jimmy quits teasing you, you need to worry. All right? I'm a teaser. Why am I a teaser? Because my dad teased me all my life. And 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 so it's just like my grandpa, like he would tease. It's just a whole brook thing, man. It, it's just who we are. It's part of our personality. And I just saw that modeled in my family. And so that's who I became. And I guarantee it, my, like my kids already do it. Jonah's trying to become an expert teaser, right? And so that's just who we are. And so, so what kids see is what they'll be. So if they're not seeing the Lord in you, it's more difficult for them to have the Lord in their lives. But the more the Lord they see in you, the easier it is for them. And so uh, the, the, you're the most significant person in your child's life, whether they're living in your home still or not. You are the most significant person. And so I want to challenge you to be the best model that you can be. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. 
follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So Paul says, look, man, you can follow me as I'm following Jesus. And so you ought to be able to say to your kids, follow me as I follow Jesus. It's the word mementes. It means imitator. And so imitate me as I what? Imitate Jesus. So Jesus is my model, and I'm looking at Jesus. I'm learning about Jesus, and I'm living like Jesus. That's why it's important for me to have a daily abide time. That's why I'm in the Word. Because Jesus, like obviously the Holy Spirit lives and he's alive and in us and moving in the world. We have the church that's a visible, visible representation of the body of Christ that's working in us. And we have uh, the word. But the physical Jesus outside of other believers and, and you yourself being a believer, the physical Jesus doesn't exist. And so we can't look at him and learn from him unless we're getting in the word. So if you're not spending any time in the word... You're not seeing Jesus, so you don't know what to imitate. So when you go to the Word, don't go to the Word and go, man, I got to read the Word today because that's what good Christians do. And Jimmy said, I should be reading my Bible. No, you need to read your Bible because Jesus is the model, and you learn about the model in the Word of God. And so the more you understand about the model, the more you know what to imitate. And the more that you imitate it, your kids can look at you and go, I need to follow the example set for me, like my dad is following the example of Jesus. And so sometimes it will feel like it's, it's not happening. Sometimes it will feel like they're not getting any of it. They're getting it. They're watching. You have to understand they are independent, free will thinkers, okay? And so they can make up their mind and they can do things that disappoint you, but you have to be in it for the long haul. And like I said last week, you have to picture them as 25-year-olds. See them down the road. And this thing, these things will start to click for them. Some of you who are raising um, teenagers, you know? I guess I'm raising teenagers now. <laughs> there are three of them. That's weird. Uh, but uh, so, so we're raising teenagers, and, and some of you are going through this rebellious time, and that sometimes can happen for kids. It doesn't have to, and so if you're here and you're a student, just because a lot of times you hear that, man, teenagers rebel, and so I got to go through my rebellious period. You don't have to do that. If you want to follow the Lord, that's not what you will do. If you want the blessing of the Lord on your life, you don't do that. You do everything to check yourself and combat that so that the blessing of God can freely fall on your life. If you're rebelling from your parents, the blessing of God cannot flow freely on your life. But some of us, sometimes we're dealing with kids who are rebellious because they have a free will. Listen, man, just keep on keeping on. You're looking at one of the most rebellious people that could have walked on the planet toward their parents, okay? I'm, I'm one. And when I, man, when I hit about, when I hit 22, things changed for me. But when I hit 24, 25, my love and my respect for my parents, like, like one of the greatest regrets I have in life, like I don't have a lot of regrets, but one of the greatest ones is the pain I caused my parents during a certain rebellious period. Like I wish I could undo that and just put joy there. And the reason I feel that way is because I look at that period and know what my parents, like how much they sacrificed for me, how much they loved me. And so I say um, that to say, man, just keep on keeping on because it's going to come full circle. And those kids, like they're going to look at you and down the road, when, when, even though it seems so awful for you right now, and it seems difficult and it, it hurts, it stings. There's going to come a day when they're going to get it. And when they get it, you're going to have that 
for the rest of your life. And hopefully you live a good long time and you're raising grandkids and you have stayed the course and you've set the model for them. And so I want to encourage you in that. Just know that what kids see is what they'll be. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 9 says, um, we did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. Now, this is a different Greek word. It is the word tupos, and it means the mark of a blow. So it's more like bam, okay? So like you think of a, a guy with a hammer and, and, and a, a, you know, something that imprints, and he makes a number on a piece of metal. It's a mark of a blow, boom. He's marking it. And so this, this tupos, that's what it means. And so Paul is saying that this is a strong example that leaves an impression. Sometimes you will be faced with decisions that will be very hard for you, very painful for you, and, and you need to make, but they will make a, that, that, I think that's what Paul has in mind here because he's talking very strongly to the Thessalonians when he says this about uh, supporting them and, and how they should have been doing it and they weren't, and they, even though the apostles had a right to it, they weren't taking it, and we did that to, bam, make a strong, like a mark or a blow in their lives to help them see something. And so there are times in your life where you'll be faced with a decision, an ethical decision at work as to whether or not you compromise your position. And it might cost you to, to not compromise. It might cost you your job. It might cost you a promotion. And you tell your kids when you're making the right decision because that's the thing that'll, bam, tupas, make a, a, an impression on them that is deep and lasting for the rest of their lives. And so this, this is... Um, um, the way we live our lives with it. And it's true for like, not only in the context of our family, but in the family of God, as we're witnessing, as we're living our life out here in, in you know, Olathe and Overland Park and, and all over the surrounding Kansas City areas, we're living, we're witnessing. And so people are looking at us and we're doing the same thing. We're making an impression upon them. And so this is how, how we live it out, what we believe in real time. Now, this is all great. Um, but the, the deal is uh, when you take two people and put them under one roof, that complicates things. When you throw a couple of kids in and they're four, in our case, um, you throw five extra kids. And so you got seven people living under one roof. Conflict is inevitable, okay? It's just going to happen. There are going to be fights. And uh, I can remember back in the 90s, I was watching Mike Tyson. And I had a group of teenagers as a youth pastor uh, at the time, and I, we were watching the Tyson Holyfield fight. I had about 30 kids in my living room, man. We were surrounded. We're watching the TV, and we're all excited. This was in Mike Tyson, man. He was just knocking people out. And so, like, you know the story. Uh, hopefully, most of you know the story. They're boxing. They're getting in. Tyson's starting to lose a little bit. Holyfield's getting the edge on him, and all of a sudden, he bites him, bites his ear off, man. And we're like, the, the whole, like, the, the room just changed. We were just like, what in the world? He just bit him. I remember this one kid, Jared McCord, he said, he just bit his ear. And then people just got, we started having conflict in my house with the youth group about what people thought. And it turned into this argument. Anyway, the, the thing is, is that it was so unjust. We were like, man, he's not fighting fair. That's illegal. He can't do that. And it blew everybody's minds because he wasn't fighting by the rules anymore. And so there was no justice in it. Well, here's the deal is we have to learn how to fight fair. We don't want to be like Mike Tyson, all right? We, we, we want to be like a person who fights fair. James 4.1 says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? 
don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Why do we fight? Like, why do sometimes, why do, why do kids go, oh, I don't, like, I don't understand, and they get frustrated with you. You ever do that, Faith? <laughs> so, and so when that happens, where does that come from? Like, I have that. Sometimes I get that, man, I get frustrated uh, with Abby, and I'm just, man, where is that coming from? Well, it's telling me where it's coming from. It's coming from my own desires that battle within me. We fight because we have competing desires, and I want what I want, and you want what you want, and so we have to learn how to fight fair because that's always going to happen, and James tells us. And what's interesting about this, what I love about James's wisdom, is that James grew up with Jesus. Like, James is the half-brother of Jesus. You'd think he didn't learn how to fight fair. Like, you're going to have an argument. You know how many arguments you have in your home, and we know that they had arguments because there's, like, they were kind of saying, none of your disciples. They were t- telling Jesus at one point, his brothers, none of your disciples believe in you. You need to do something. And so they're kind of jabbing him a little bit. It would be interesting uh, to have to grow up with Jesus, right? <laughs> it's like That would be a hard, hard one to have to try to navigate through some of those arguments. But here, here's a few things that hopefully, real quickly, that will help you to, to learn to fight fair. To fight fair, we have to make peace with God. Okay, we talked about this early on. Before you can fight fair with anyone else, you have to make peace with God. If you don't make peace with God, I can almost guarantee you, you will end up biting someone's ear off. That's just what you will do. Because it's hard to not bite someone, bite their head off in this case, metaphorically, you know, we use that as a saying, is it's hard not to do it when you do have peace with God. You still have to control your flesh. And so the first thing we need to do is make peace with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 says this. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? What does this say to us? It says that if, like, if you haven't had an experience where you've made peace with God, you're his enemy. There's no way around it. Like there are either people who are at peace with God or people who are enemies of God. And so we don't like to think that way. We think, oh, only the devil is God's enemy. No. Like anybody who has not made peace with God is an enemy of God. That's what Romans chapter 5 verse 10 is teaching us. So if you've not surrendered to Jesus, you're at war with God. And if you're at war with God, you are going to be at war with people. A lot of conflict ceases in your life when you quit fighting God. Like when you just come to a point and say, I give up, I surrender to to your will, Lord. When you become a Christ follower, what happens is the spirit of God moves in. And so one of the things, like when a person says, well, uh, like we had one of the, uh, a person recently make a profession of faith. We were really excited about their profession of faith as they confessed the Lord Jesus. And, and, and so they're part of our, our community here at the church. Um, and, and so like I asked Abby, I said, well, do you see evidence of the Holy Spirit in their lives? This is what we got to be looking for. Is like when a person confesses that they know the Lord, the, second, the first thing we need to be looking for is evidence of the Holy Spirit. And that means that they begin to have a hunger for the word. They, get, they begin to have a hunger to know more about the Lord. And so we're looking for that because the Holy Spirit moves into our lives. And so many of our problems in the family would be solved if people would just surrender to Jesus and start following him. This is incredible because what happens is the Lord starts changing us. So the Lord moves in, and all of a sudden, we, we, we start seeing things differently. And so the, the desires that were once left unchecked, now we're starting to have the Holy Spirit in us who's creating a holy desire, a desire of the Lord. And our desires will, will shift 
They will shift tremendously whenever we surrender to the Lord. And so God will begin to take us on this journey where he starts giving us the desires that he wants for us. And so once you make peace with God, what happens is, is when there's conflict, you can talk to God about it is that you've made peace with him. And so you get upset about something and you have a conversation with God and you will find that a lot of things will get solved right there. Verse two of James chapter four says this, you you want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because why? You do not ask God. And so sometimes when we're having conflict, the only thing we need to do is just have a conversation with God and talk to him about it, and he will navigate us through it. A lot of things happen when we expect other people to meet the needs that only God can meet. That's what's happening in conflict, is often we're asking someone else to meet needs that only God can meet. And if we, if we do that, it just creates a lot more uh, a conflict. And so here's what, what I would encourage you to do in making peace with God. Even those of you who are, have been following the Lord, you surrendered to the Lord a, lo- a long time ago, learn to vent vertically before you vent horizontally. Just learn to talk to God and just let it out, man. Say, man, that, just talk to the Lord and tell him how this person right now in this moment is making you so angry. And you, if you think they're stupid at that moment, you need to tell the Lord, I think this person is stupid. You talk to God that way? Yes, he already knows you think that person is stupid. You're just telling him. And then when you tell him, you're going to go, man, I just told the Lord that I think that person is stupid, and the Lord has told me that I shouldn't call anybody a fool. And look at the Lord. I'm sure the Lord thinks that I'm probably stupid too. This is how it happens for me. I'm sure the Lord has looked at me and gone, man, that was a stupid thing. But the Lord is not treating me like I'm stupid. He's continuing to shower grace upon me. And I begin to see all of the stupid things that I've done in my life in referencing some of the things like I talked about just a moment ago about how I treated my parents during a certain period of time in my life. I regret regret that. And that was stupid. But the Lord has looked at that. And in spite of that, he has still poured his blessing out upon me. And so he is showering me with grace. And so as I begin to look at it, I'm a recipient of grace because I've had this simple conversation that I told the Lord that I thought this person who cut me off or whatever was stupid. Now I'm beginning to think about all of the stupid things that I've done. And then I'm saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that person was stupid. And now my blood pressure is brought back down. Now I'm beginning to smile because now I have been a model of Christ's behavior because Jimmy got checked and he died to himself daily as Jesus said I should. Christ was able to live in me. And because of that, the fruit of the Spirit is growing along with me and through me. And joy returns to my life. And so that's how this thing works, is a simple conversation um, can help us to avoid uh, having a lot of conflict in our home. So here, here's, a, here's the second thing. To fight fair, we must assume a low position. So first of all, we make peace with God, and then we need to assume a low position. When, you want to, uh, when you're in a fight, you definitely want to get an advantageous position, okay? Uh, you, you're not going to want to be like this, Right? You want to get down and be in an advantageous position. So I think there are, are a few ways you could do that. John, or James chapter 4, verse 10 teaches us this. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Like what is Humble means go down low. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and what will he do? He will lift you up. Now, this is all in the context of fighting. Like this is all in the context of having conflict. Written by the half-brother of, of Jesus. Like they had the same mother. 
And so we look at this and James says, listen, the way up is down. And so there's a, there's a triple threat. It's what I like to call a triple threat. Like you have a, in basketball, you have a triple threat. That means that a, a defender looks at you and you've got three options. You can pass, you can shoot, or you can dribble. You're in a triple threat position. And so you keep the defender from overcommitting or you try to jab step him, he goes the wrong way, and you, you, you use one of your other threats. So the same thing happens for conflicts. Here they are. Ask three questions. One, how much of this is my fault? Just ask how much of this, when you get into an argument and you're feeling that way, before accusing and attacking, you ask the question, how much of this is my fault? Am I being demanding? Am I being uh, unrealistic? Am I being oversensitive? Am I being impatient? Am I being insensitive? How much of this is on me? Am I the problem? Because there's no such thing as a one-person problem. Like, we all contribute to the conflict. Here's the second question. Acknowledge, or this is not a question, acknowledge strengths and weaknesses. So like in our home, I'm the communicator. Like man, words will just flow out of my mouth. I can think on the spot in pressure situations. Abby is not a communicator. And so I have to acknowledge the strengths in me and the weaknesses in her, or I can just verbally wear her out. And, and, and so we've talked about that in our marriage. We know that. Like, I've got to really listen and not do all the talking and give, like, try to hear what she's trying to say because it's not as easy for her to communicate as it is for me. And so we have to acknowledge strengths and weaknesses. So to fight fair, you have to do that. And then here, here's, here's a really good one. I think this is really good. Talk to someone else about you. Don't talk to someone else about your spouse. Don't talk to your girlfriend about your husband's behavior. When you start the conversation and say you're having a struggle in your marriage, say, could you help me see some things about me? That's who you need to talk about is you. Because the only person you can work on and the only person that help person can help you work on is you. So talk to someone else about you. Don't use the opportunity to talk about other people. So to, to fight fair, we have to make peace with God. We have to assume a lone position, and here's the third thing. It's a rule in our home to fight fair. You must work it out. Work it out. Ephesians chapter 4, 26 is a verse to live by. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. So there's a rule in our home that we don't, like, we don't go to sleep when we're angry with one another. <laughs> and sometimes I try. Like sometimes I just get mad and I don't talk. And, and finally I would say, listen, we need to talk. And I will talk to Abby and we will talk through it and we let the anger go. And so don't, like if you will make that a rule, if your kids, kids make it with their parents, spouses make it with one another, you will see that things start operating a lot smoother in your home. So uh, if you don't, if you don't do that, what happens is we get hard to the situation and the person, and we leave them alone. And we just think, ah, she'll get over it, I'll get over it, and we let it go. And in time, that is extremely dangerous because every day that goes by that you don't work it out creates distance. It just pushes you away. And so you build up over time that you, do, you just keep letting things go. You don't work through things and you don't open up. Then what happens is it just over time drives you away from each other. And this is why a lot of times people can't, like they get to a point where it's like we, we can't do it. Like we're incompatible because there are so many differences that it feels insurmountable to be able to work through them. 
but let, me, let me encourage you by saying that when we work through them, the opposite happens. Instead of driving us away, it drives us closer to one another. And the longer we can do that, the deeper the relationship goes. And the more difficulties we face together as husband and wife, the greater the level of, uh, of model it is for our kids. And, and the relationship, man, the relationship becomes so sweet. Like, I, I, I'm telling you, man, I, I, love, I loved Abby. The day that, like, I saw her, I thought, man, like, this is the, like, I thought she's beautiful. And um, I've loved her the whole time that I've known her. Because we fell in love, and, and, and then we were married, and I loved her. But, I mean, it's like, man, I don't love her. Like, when I met her, my, like, my love is more than doubled at, at 20, the year 21. Like, it's deep, man. It's, it's deep right now, and, and, and she, we're, we've, we're, we've learned to understand there are four different kinds of loves that the Bible talks about. Um, there's eros, that's the easy one. Like that's where we we get our word uh, erotic. That one actually is not used in the Bible, but it's talked about. Um, There's there's the uh, familia, and it's it's just like family love. Uh, Phileo is this, this friendship love. So we have all of these loves, and man, like the one, like that friendship one, when you get from the, you move beyond just the physical passion, and you you move into the the you've got the family one, and, and then you've got that that friendship one working in it. You get all those coming together. Then what happens is um, the, the, one of the words is is storge, and and you get all this working. And I've lived this, man. I've lived this where I've known, and it takes time. I don't think you need to say, "Oh, I got all those." If, if you've been married a couple of years, like. Those of you who are just getting married, there will be times you will hit some things, man, and you're like, did we make the right decision? There will be things you will face that you want to throw in the towel. There will be things that, that come against you that you never saw coming. And in those moments, if we can navigate through them, then what happens is we go through the refiner's fire. And the marriage just gets deeper and more brilliant, and the relationship gets more special. And the way we do that is by practicing a lot of what I'm talking about right now. It's keeping that communication open, working through these things, letting the Lord take us on a journey and be willing uh, to assume a low position and work things out. So here, here's, here's the big idea. Just fight fair. Like you're going to fight. You're going to fight with other people. If you're married, you're going to fight with your spouse. If you have kids, you're going to fight with your kids. If you have parents, you're going to fight with your parents. And if everybody's fighting fair, we can navigate through the conflict much quicker. We can show each other how we care about each other, and all of our relationships go deeper, and they get much more intimate and special for us to celebrate what the Lord is doing in each of our lives. And so today we're going to have like a time of decision. And so maybe, maybe you want to come and, and talk to the Lord about you've not been fighting fair? Maybe you and your wife drove to church together and you had a fight on the way. That's okay. Doesn't mean you're evil. It means you're human. But you just come down and pray, man. Come pray together. Um, Maybe you're having a conflict with one of your kids. Come pray with them. Maybe you're having a conflict with somebody in the church. (gasps) You mean two brothers in Christ can have conflict? Yes. 
And what are they supposed to do? Work it out. They work it out. And as you work it out, the relationships get deeper. And, the, and, and people look at us and we're modeling for the world what it is like to follow Jesus. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.